Is there a future where The Sopranos will one day be lost by newer generations? Perhaps in the oversaturation of streaming services and critically acclaimed TV like Tears and Rain. Welcome to Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. I'm Jared Backens and I'm joined by my two millennial co-hosts Drew Madden and Josh Fink as we go through each episode to uncover if The Sopranos should still be considered the best. It's good to be in something from the ground floor. Even though some consider 2020 the golden age of TV, I get the feeling we came in too late for that. We came in at the end. The best is over. Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos. Here we go. Welcome to episode 12 of Josh Hasn't Seen The Sopranos. We're going to be going into Isabella today. Josh, did Sarah share this with you? Um, Lizzie told me this last episode. They're planning on starting a podcast called Thank God for the Pod. I think just about us giving them a couple hours one evening a week when we're doing this podcast. Did she mention that to you? She did. And it honestly might attract more more listeners than ours, but <laughs> I told her to go for I it. I think immediately. Yeah, I think immediately <laughs> they'll have more listeners. <laughs> I was on uh I was on Twitter the other day and as as you guys know, as I fill you in on my Twitter stories, and there's just like a lot of I think on social media that's like where people let out a lot of anger and in particular baby boomers and millennials especially but like baby boomers are always like like they were just like ripping into this one person on on twitter like uh at least our generation works a lot harder than you guys uh yada 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 and and i'm sure you guys have heard heard something similar to that do you think these these boomers have a point josh and these like you know i i work hard you guys don't work hard i think it's all just circumstantial. I mean, I, I think we're going to feel that way about the generation younger than us. When I mean, you see all the tools that we have available to to utilize during the workday, you know, computers and lightning quick internet and things like that, it can make it seem like the work we're doing is easier, but maybe we're just more efficient and actually doing more work, um, which I think is the case. Um, and then I, I've, I've had this conversation with uh, my dad a bunch of times, like, is it, was it easier for the boomers you know, starting out like to buy a house to like kind of achieve the American dream. I mean, like mm-hmm. just, I guess it depends on where you live. Right. But in California yeah. where, where we live, it's substantially difficult to even like obtain a piece of property. Like right. anywhere. To rent an apartment for a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anywhere within like 90 miles of where you work. <laughs> That's why Drew's building a van to live. <laughs> I mean, kind of. <laughs> Sorry, continue, Josh. What's your dad say? He kind of waffles. He says like yes and no, but I mean, you can strictly look at home prices, but then you also have to look at like relative salaries and things like that. But I think it's harder for us, just mainly because there's a lot more people than there were in in California back, say, 35, 40 years ago. Um, but back to your back to your original question, though. I don't know. I bet everybody works basically the same, the same amount of effort. Obviously, there's some super effort people and they rise to the top. But for the general, you know, middle management level, which I think I fall under, I think it's probably about been the same, same effort level the last like 50 years. <laughs> I I just tend to when I like see that argument and I, I don't take part in these when I see them online, but I, I have the argument out in my head, like what I would say. And I think I just take the side of the person opposite the person who's getting angrier. Like if a boomer is getting furious about a millennial for not working hard, I'll I'll take the side of the millennial. But if like a millennial is like 
we do work hard. I'll be just like, ah, all right, millennial. Like, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> um, I just like go toward who, whoever's like getting less angry in an argument, I think, something like that. But also at the same time, like, is it a bad thing to not have to work as hard as the previous generation? I mean, that's progress. That's innovation. That's what I'm saying. Like, I kind of think for sure boomers work harder, but it's like if we're working the same, like at just as hard and we have all this stuff, like all this technology at our fingertips, it's just stupid. You know who worked harder than the boomers are like the farmers in the 1880s. Oh, yeah. Or the, I mean, that's or the, cave, the cavemen. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like, I mean, harder than the boomers. They're like going to war, like World War II. Is that, is that easy work? The greatest generation. I was going to say like, I mean, a big goal of me for like starting a business is to work less than 40 hours a week. And like as I work, you know, as I deviate working, um, have you guys heard of the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss? Have you heard of Tim Ferriss? I have. I've heard of the book. I haven't read it though. What's it, what's it really? He's like an entrepreneur. He's like started a bunch of companies and he's also done like, he's like won like a judo or jujitsu international contest despite like not being, not having trained for like more than a year, you know, competed (laughs) in this like tango international championship. And he like trained for, with tango for like a year, but he's all about just like doing things fully. Like the way that he won the judo contest was he figured out like how to get people like out of the ring and it was like a flaw in the rules, but like it wasn't against the rules. Um, but his whole thing is like how to get your work week as little as possible. And he really talks about deviating work as much as possible. Um, it's like, if you can pay an assistant, um, you know, 20 bucks an hour and you don't work, he has like these really good analogies about like, paying other people to do things and it's like would you pay 200 bucks like a week to not work fridays and it's really interesting oh that that's kind of similar to the, the podcast i mentioned before bigger pockets isn't about necessarily working less but about putting your value in in the right places like know when to to hire an assistant if if that's going to take away your if that's going to take away your work um or the task that you hate doing or something like that. Like I'm all for, I love how our technology makes things more efficient. I'm all for finding ways to be more efficient about my work. Like if that gives me free time, great, but it also gives me time where I can explore another one of my, one of my projects and things like that. It's funny. Cause yeah, like one of my goals is to, you know, yeah, not work a 40 hour week, but like in dumb and dumber Harry and Floyd are talking <laughs> like, like, what do they say? I, I know exactly the scene. <laughs> They're like, there's, there's no work out here. Nada, nothing, zip. Unless you want to work 40 hours a week. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's like exactly it. Uh, but it's like funny because I'm just like, oh yeah, I feel like Harry or Floyd. You know, whenever it's I'm Lloyd. just like... His name's Lloyd. Oh, Lloyd, sorry. <laughs> Lloyd Christmas. Anyway, uh I, I thought of that exactly when you started talking about it. Unless you want to work 40 hours a week. <laughs> I do think, I think the people, I think you guys are both right. Um, but I think the people who make the arguments about it, those boomers who are like, we work hard. The millions are like, no, we work hard or whatever. Like those people probably just don't work hard. Both those people. <laughs> it's like, if you have to say it, like, then you're probably not. You probably have this like weird idea of how much you guys are putting in the work and i thought of 
Junior Soprano being, I am the boss last episode or Joffrey Baratheon <laughs> saying, I am the king. It's like, if you have to say it, you probably aren't working that hard. Yeah. And if you're engaging in fights on Twitter, that means, yeah. that means you have time, <laughs> which probably means you're not working as hard as you think you are. <laughs> so let's talk about the episode. Episode 12, one more episode left of this season. Let's do our cores and then what they mean. And then we can kind of talk over the the big picture ideas. Drew, I saw you jotting your core down before. So why don't you go first? I have lithium. It's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> it's from uh, Dave Chappelle. God, who does he, when they're doing the uh, impersonations of... Um, oh, Rick James. Charlie Murphy. Yeah. Rick James. <laughs> it's like cocaine. It's a hell, hell of a drug. drug. <laughs> I'm Rick James, bitch. Yeah, sorry, Jared. I'm, I'm not... I'm just trying to think of something clever for these cores. I'm not really trying to sum up the episode. <laughs> no, I, it should be it should be something clever. What was the the episode where Junior performs oral sex? What was your core for I that wanna one? L- l- lick you from your head <laughs> to your toes, and I wanna. <sighs> <laughs> I'd be like going down river guiding, and sometimes we wouldn't have guests in our boat, and I'd just be like bump and ludicrous like just instead of enjoying <laughs> the sounds of nature just <laughs> playing ludicrous on my speaker <laughs> yeah i don't know i haven't uh what i was gonna say about lithium is just i've just heard it's like insane like so intense but i don't know anything about it josh how about you my core is a uh, mobster hits rock bottom and you want to explain it yeah so when um <laughs> when he's depressed he's always he thinks kind of the only way out is like, oh, I want to kill myself. And so kind of usually the progression uh, I've heard about is people then attempt suicide. And then if it fails, they go, oh, kind of snap out of the depression. And and they, with the near-death experience, realize they don't want to die. And that, that's kind of the rock bottom. And then his was kind of forced upon himself. And when he was talking to Melfi after the attempted murder, he goes, I thought I wanted to die, but every fiber of my being was fighting for my life and that kind of snapped him out of it so i think the moment that he kind of saw in the car window the guy taking aim at him who by the way terrible shot like if these guys are pros you know tony's tony's dead Um, we will for sure get into that (laughs) but he, he i think that was like the rock bottom moment when his orange juice shattered that was like uh yeah i don't want to die right now what a freaking great moment though with the music playing with the orange juice shattering in slow motion i love that moment <laughs> no yeah, it was a yeah, great you're like, scene. oh good tony's, tony's back on it back on the horse is drinking a gallon of orange juice <laughs> <laughs> i think that that is common in people josh like maybe someone won't try to whack them but they'll they'll have either a near-death experience or something will jump start them so to speak and it doesn't mean the depression is over because it does very much, I think, come into peaks and valleys, but they'll be jump started for that that time being. And I think that's exactly what Tony experienced. What what was what was your core? So uh Google this a couple minutes ago. So serotonin syndrome is what I wrote. And that's combining lithium and Prozac. This is on the internet can increase the risk of rare but serious condition called serotonin syndrome, which may include symptoms such as confusion, hallucination, seizure, extreme changes in blood pressure, increased heart rate, fever, excessive sweating, shivering, or shaking. But hallucination, I think, is the important one. So that was a big one for this episode. And we know the big parts that Tony was hallucinating. 
there's a lot of speculation. We're still unsure of what exactly he hallucinated throughout the whole episode, though. It could have been other scenes as well. So we should think about that as we're going through the episode. Like, oh, was this was this real or was it just another hallucination from Tony? It's kind of like a, a sixth sense, the movie, you know, and whenever Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis is actually dead. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> if people haven't seen the sixth sense yet, then they deserve that was that's the biggest spoiler in cinema history. We just we just went out and said it. So I was I was watching that with my aunt. Uh, I was like sleeping over at their house. I was I don't know how old I whenever it came out on. I think we ran it from Blockbuster. Yeah, and she wrote down on a piece of paper like twenty minutes through. She's like, I think I figured it out, and she wrote down Bruce Willis is dead. And to this day, I still don't know if she had like seen the movie before, or if like that's just an unreal call because whoa clearly i was like 10 maybe even less than what that. a take yeah i was like i still watch that movie i'm like is he dead i mean clearly he is but <laughs> that opening scene is terrifying to be, like i remember oh yeah that when i was like like 10 or 11 or you know just being like oh my god with donnie Wahlberg as the the patient that comes to return to him who's donnie so, Wahlberg? i mean obviously the mark Wahlberg's brother oh <laughs> <laughs> he's the patient that <laughs> like poetic he returned to him as he always knew he would uh, sorry what's up josh i was just speaking back to the first few episodes of the sopranos that movie has a lot to do with colors and red um oh yeah i don't know much about it so i'm gonna leave it at that but someone someone of our listeners like tell us tell us what that means about the colors and the sixth sense Another thing about the sixth sense is they do a good job hanging a lantern on stuff. So when you find out at the end, Bruce Willis is dead, you're probably thinking back to the beginning. Well, he was in all these situations where it doesn't really make sense that he was dead. Like someone should have talked to him or something like that. But uh, the kid explains it. He's just like, you know, the dead people see what they want to see. They hear what they want to hear and stuff like that. So it kind of stretches your reality, but he addresses kind of what the audience would be concerned about. It's a great movie. So this episode, I got four four main storylines in this one. Um, do you guys want to see if you can come up with them? Uh, I got one being a junior and Tony's mom, kind mm-hmm. kind of like plotting things. Yeah, they're they're planning the hit on Tony. And how does that storyline end? Or what's the last like <laughs> beat on that? Do you remember? Yeah, Olivia's uh, <laughs> trying to play it cool and be like, oh, I'm. So do they now have Alzheimer's or dementia? Oh man, exactly. <laughs> and Junior's, Junior's just like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm fucked. <laughs> I'm going to whack you. Olivia is always like playing the game, I think, on like as high a level as as Tony is. And she's irritating. And I, I want to just, I mean, I love watching her on screen, but is she so different from Tony? Like Tony kind of grew up with this and learned from Livia in a lot of ways. What are the what are the other storylines? Tony dates his metaphorical mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that one's like more elaborate. It's like Tony's experiencing like insane depression because Big Pussy disappeared, who he thought previously was the rat, realized he it might be Jimmy, it might be this other guy, so he's depressed that he might have led Pussy away or something like that. Um and then so he starts taking the lithium and Prozac, he starts hallucinating. But then the other storyline, the assassination trip attempt breaks him out of that. Um, and he realizes he has to make a move on whoever did that to him, which we know it's Junior. You guys think of the 
the other two, the smaller ones, very small in this episode. Those first two are really the ones that are, are leading it. Uh, Anthony Soprano Jr. and the dance. Yeah. <laughs> we get like the one beat of Silvio and Polly like supervising <laughs> him in the limo on his way to his first formal. And then one more. Uh, I don't know. So the FBI agent comes to see Tony when Tony's uh, after the assassination attempt and tries to get Tony to make a deal to like rat on his friends to put him away. And Tony won't have it. Carmelo, though, shows some concern. She's worried about Tony's life and and she shows a little bit of interest in that. So that was only one beat storyline, but it definitely was a a new storyline introduced there. So any any other big picture thoughts about the episode or, or reactions from it out of you guys? Josh, how about you? I really enjoyed it. I, I, I was just a little upset with the lack of professionalism from the hitman, hitman junior Cho's. <laughs> yeah, that's a pitfall. I, uh, the way they filmed it and the way James Gandolfini was acting, like I was kind of getting depressed in the beginning. I was like, this is a, I wouldn't say annoying to watch, but I was like, come on, like snap out of it. Um, right. So, which obviously means they did a good job. Yeah. Overall, I thought that was very entertaining and really curious to see how this whole season wraps up and, and what they're going to wrap up with uh, one more episode to go. Did it meet your expectations from what happened last episode, exceed them or? Um... I would say, I would say it met my expectations. I wouldn't, I don't think it, it, it exceeded them. Um, it was, it was satisfying to watch. Uh, I feel like it kind of moved along, had enough things fall into place, answered some questions and then left some questions as well. So Drew, how about you? I'm just super hooked. Like I didn't remember this at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just like, I think I, since we're like analyzing it, I I noticed like a lot of flaws with the show, but yeah, I'm still just like this. It's like, I think I have like recency bias with, you know, each show you get all excited about and I'm just like, feel like the Sopranos is like the best show again or something like it makes me want to rewatch the wire so I can be like, Oh, which one's better? Yeah. Well, that's the next podcast. <laughs> Are you still rewatching breaking bad? Uh, last week I just had a couple nights where I like couldn't sleep. So I started, uh, just like watching them, but fuck those first episodes are brutal. Like just <laughs> decomposing bodies and, Oh, and the, yeah, and the I was just like, fuck, dude, I forgot how just like gruesome and brutal this show is, you yeah. know, whereas like Sopranos is like lighthearted in comparison, almost. I would say one thing that always stuck out of, with Breaking Bad was they amplify anytime somebody uses a cell phone, like a flip phone, like the opening of the flip phone. It's always like, yeah, <laughs> or I don't, I don't know what the noise is, but it's like, it's like the loudest click ever. Yeah. <laughs> that's true i mean that that show really just brings you to the edge of your seat but i have a lot more nitpicks in that series i think a lot of the situations are a bit of a stretch but they do a really good job bringing you along um but i i agree with you drew it's just i'm hooked these these last three episodes especially um and this is where we we start to see a little bit i mean i have um i think there's some pitfalls around the hallucination and the dreaming too but it starts it starts the sopranos talks about really important things and uses dream sequences with them like it talks about depression or it talks about the meaning of life or friendships um the other thing i was thinking about this one is like why is i mean 
this I mean, this was 20 years ago when this was filmed. But why is still depression so hidden, especially with like tough guys or men? And why do they feel the need to to hide it? Drew, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. Like there's been a couple times in my life where I've been depressed and, you know, you don't tell anybody like I haven't told anybody and I'm like not really a tough guy. I don't know if like for women, it's like especially common to talk about it. Like it's like, you know, the standard is like, oh, women are more emotional. So maybe it's a little bit more accepting of them being emotional. But depression is like not totally in that category of being like a acceptable emotion. Mm-hmm. Also on the same note is just like seeing how emotional these, these tough guys are, you know, they're yeah. like, like, especially like Polly. <laughs> just like, he's the super, most emotional, super sensitive, like very sensitive guy. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I don't know if he mentions it this episode, but it's literally this hit on Tony starts really because he's seeing a therapist and he spread a rumor that uncle junior went down on his girlfriend. Like those are what's causing an uncle to go after his son or his uh, nephew really. And that's, that's super interesting to me. Just how, how sensitive, even if you pretend you're not sensitive, if you say like, Oh no, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm not sensitive or whatever like that. Like you still have these sensitivities and it, it comes out in these really ugly adverse ways. Um, so I think that's super interesting. And maybe I was wrong to say tough guys, because I do think depression probably isn't talked about on a whole for women too. And I think it also stems like most mental illness, it's hard for those who don't experience it to empathize with those that are going through it because, you know, ma- majority of people probably aren't clinically depressed. And so when somebody is, it's like, well, I don't, I have no idea what you're feeling because I've never felt totally. that. Yeah, I've been sad before, but the levels at which you're, you're dealing with those feelings. And so it's easy to discount it and just say, oh, well, snap out of it. Like go on a run, like break out of it. But it's something that's so deep rooted some of the times that I think it's just, you know, nobody knows how to, what it is, which is a good thing that those who aren't depressed don't know what it's like. But I think that has a lot to do with it just because if you've never experienced it before, just like anything, people are going to always come at with like, "Eh, I don't know, you're kind of being like a a wimp or a baby and which is probably where the men not wanting to talk about it or do anything about it probably comes from as well a little bit. Well, yeah, it's also like interesting with like, like therapy thinking about like, um, or even sometimes like like life coaching or therapy, there's like a negative connotation with it. But like any other type of coaching, you know, is a sign of improvement or betterment. Right. You know, but it's like, like when <laughs> Tony says something to Chris about like going to therapy and, and Chris is like, I'm no mental midget. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> that's a really good point. I guess that's more like life coaching where it's like, all right, I'm like feeling fine, but this is a way to like improve my my mental state improve my upper limits of of happiness and of like when you're when you're happy you can really do do well around you and do good in the world and when you're depressed like you just think about yourself you're just like self-absorbed and self-involved and i mean if it wasn't so fucking expensive i would probably see a therapist like every other week i feel like everyone would benefit from that that, no yeah. matter where you were at. Oh, totally. <laughs> Especially like, you know, like high school kids. I'm just like, there's a oh, lot yeah. of pressure in high school. And there's a lot of pressure for guys to not show their feelings. I mean, I don't know like how many times in school I would just like try not to cry. And it's like that stuff like really builds oh, up in you. 
Dude, I was a crier for sure for a lot of school. And I'm just like, all right, don't cry. Don't cry. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, I yeah, I got caught cheating on a test once and I like went to the bathroom. And I was like, dang it. And then I like came back and just like bawled in front of the class. And then it's like, OK, great. Now I've like got caught cheating, been made like everyone fucking made fun of me. And then like oh, got, so a, got like my first B, you know, which was like devastating to me. <laughs> you know it's like, I, I didn't think of you as uh being so studious you're what how old were you when that happened uh seventh grade how were you how were you cheating just asking we kind of like more did it as like an adrenaline rush kind of thing you know it's like i didn't need the fucking answer like you know it's kind of like you know you do your homework you could get an a you know by doing your homework but we would just like ask each other you know show each other our paper and it was like it's just like this big rush Oh, that's sad. I'm really sorry to hear that uh, that she cried in front of the whole class. It's not funny. That's all right. I'll, I'll call you. After, I'll call you after the pod. We can talk about it. <laughs> that's a really good point. You had like it's like a badge of honor if you're just like, oh, this is my personal trainer, like working my body out or my nutritionist. And it's like your brain and your mind are like the most important things, and that's this thing you have to be the most quiet about. It's like no, you want to be more mentally resilient or as mentally resilient as you can, and if that. For a lot of people, therapy is probably a way to do that. That's that's a really good point, Drew. Let's just go over the episode. You guys remember how it starts? Isn't Tony in bed? No. it's It starts at the funeral home. So that's actually the funeral oh, of yeah. Brendan Filoni's mother. So Brendan Filoni is like Chris's shithead friend from the first three episodes. So Junior goes in. So Junior whacked this woman's kid. And now he's like, you know, going to the funeral, which is just, it's part of the life. But Jimmy <laughs> Altieri, who's a capo, is there. And he's the capo that that we suspected being a rat because he was act, asking all those direct questions to Tony or Tony suspects him. And he is not subtle at all. He's just like, you know, I never discredit you for taking care of like Brendan Filoni or whatever he says to Junior. And it's like, dude, show some subtlety at the <laughs> guy's mother's funeral, please. You're a capo. But anyway, so that that starts this continued speculation of Jimmy being the rat. But Junior's like, I mean, Junior's a smart guy too. And he's just like, what, what the fuck are you doing? Like, the guy's mother's over there in a casket. And then he goes on to be like, she gave me a hand job in the alley one time. <laughs> yeah. But then he says it, right? He says it. He's just like, what am I doing? This is her. She's dead in front of me or whatever. I'm looking at my notes and yeah, it says first hand job. And I'm just like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what was Circled, that? underlined. Oh circled underline exclamation hand job all right i'm crossing it out there's no other no other notes on the page (laughs) (laughs) just a drawing all right go on we learn about tony being depressed by going to the bada bing office sylvia and christopher are talking about it christopher's concerned about tony and then i love sylvia's lines he's just like what's he got to be depressed about he's like yeah napoleon he he was a moody fuck too (laughs) (laughs) underrated line (laughs) and then and then we go to to tony in bed and this is the first now that we know what happens and he's hallucinating i think he hallucinates this whole thing carmela says she's going to get a suit for aj this happens later again when the maid tells tony that carmela wants to go get a suit for aj i think this could very well just be a hallucination but great moment. She, she asks him how he's doing on sweat socks. You know, we're going right by the sports authority. And it's like, oh, I was wondering how mob guys got their, got their socks. She doesn't show much sympathy, though, does she? <laughs> She's pretty annoyed with his depression. <laughs> I 
Which I kind of get her perspective because Tony puts her through some shit. And so like she puts up with all of Tony's stuff. And then finally when he's just, I mean, you should always be more open about someone who's depressed, but maybe Tony is the exception where he puts Carmela through some serious shit. I don't know. She has every reason to be pissed with him, I kind of think. But Tony sees Isabella, who's, he's hallucinating her, we find out, but he thinks it's this student, um, this college student that's staying next door at the Cusumano's house. And I I really like the next sequence. Uh, I don't know if this stuck out as much to you guys, but it's, he takes the medicine in the bathroom. That song, Tiny Tears by Tender Sticks plays, which plays a few times through this episode. And he sits on like the shower and like the camera turns and everything. And I thought it was just, I thought it was just awesome. You guys remember that scene? Yeah, I really mm-hmm. liked it. Is that one of those songs, Josh, that you would you wanted to download and like work out to after seeing this episode? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't have that thought during that that song. But now that you think about it, it's like I might have to look it up. I the comments on oh, actually, don't read the comments on YouTube, Josh, because they're all Sopranos themed. They're like listening to this song makes me want want to wake up depressed in a bathrobe. And it's someone <laughs> put. That orange juice didn't have the makings of a varsity athlete. What song is it? <laughs> it's called Tiny Tears by Tender Sticks. Oh, okay. And so all the comments are Sopranos themed, so just be careful. I won't look into it. I'll send you an MP3 file, actually, so that you don't have to go on the internet. Oh, perfect. Uh, Christopher visits Tony at home, and Christopher's actually, I thought this was a likable Christopher thing. He's concerned about Tony. He mentions that there's no, they haven't found Big Pussy, so Big Pussy is still gone. After Polly made Big Pussy feel weird at the at the bathhouse when he was like trying to find out if Big Pussy had a wire, Pussy fled after that. Um, but Christopher's afraid of Tony like being alone. Tony's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go to the basement real quick," and Christopher's just like, "Oh, for what?" And Christopher actually follows Tony in his car after, which saves his life too. So I don't know. I thought I thought that was a a loyal and likable Christopher moment. But then I was also thinking like, what is he trying to get? And maybe Tony is. I mean, Tony is Christopher's biggest fan. Like without Tony in the picture, then Christopher is really a no one also is one perspective of it too. Do you still really hate Christopher, Josh? Yeah. Later on the episode when he came in with that fishing hat, I was like, dude, you look like such a dork. (laughs) (laughs) That made him more likable. I thought that was pretty funny. (laughs) My uh, Lizzie was talking about, I think when she starts the podcast with Sarah, that's going to be immediately more popular than this one. They want to talk about like all the clothes of the Sopranos of just like multiple sweatsuits, Carmela, Adriana, Christopher wearing the hat, just like all these crazy, crazy outfits. And I'm like, damn, that's already a better idea than any ideas I've had about this one. I actually paused the the show when they were in the hospital to see if I thought Meadow was wearing Vans and she was. And I was like, were Vans a thing back then? Apparently. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, dude. 99, man. I think that's when I got my first pair of Vans and they were, I thought I was the freaking coolest kid in school, but realized I was just like the 30th kid that got Vans. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a time when you would just wear running shoes to school like every day. And then you're just like, oh fuck, I got to get like boxers and uh, <laughs> not to wear on your feet, but like skate shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I was a running shoe kid through like senior year of high school i was gonna say i was <laughs> until college <And> then, <laughs> like my my dad my dad was like we're buying you one pair of shoes and like for three he's like you got to keep them for like three months and you know that's it three months that was that was the minimum i had to hold on to a pair of shoes unless like my feet were growing but it was like what were you doing just like leaving your shoes in the street throwing them over like telephone wires and things like that 
I mean, I, I think I had to like wear them a year or something. They're my only pair of shoes. Okay. I was pretty um, athletic, Jared. You know, I was, I was <laughs> dipping and diving, shuffling, <laughs> juking people. So okay, shoes can't, those new balances can't take all that lateral movement and explosiveness. Wearing them kayaking to wind and sea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it was a bigger, and I, I tell myself this, but I thought it was a bigger East Coast thing just to wear running shoes longer. Because then when I came to the West Coast for college and things like that, I was like, holy shit, I need to get another pair of shoes. <laughs> like I'm wearing <laughs> running shoes. So Tony goes and introduces himself to the exchange student outside too. He's completely infatuated with her. And we realize later this is all a hallucination. Do you guys want to talk about this now? What Did you guys think this was realistic his hallucinations i didn't think it was a hallucination i thought it was real the only thing that thinking back that i thought was weird was that little shade setup that she had um yeah <laughs> and also like who's hanging up laundry uh in like these multi-million dollar homes right it's like so uh old school italian like in the hills of sicily or something yeah other than that i thought it was pretty pretty real so yeah just to fill in like he he has several interactions with this woman and we find out later that he was hallucinating because of the lithium and Prozac. And my, my critique or my question is like, do you think you'd have that realistic of a hallucination in reality? Did that take you guys out of the realism of the show at all? Um, or would you just buy into that? You're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I thought it was fine. I've never hallucinated. Okay. So I don't, I mean, I've, I've had like weird dreams when I'm like been sick, but nothing that realistic or long lasting. Okay. I mean, I've taken mushrooms and hallucinated, but you know, <laughs> not of an Italian mother, motherly figure that takes me to lunch. You'd be like, "Oh, I'm. This is because of the mushrooms." You would know. <laughs> I yeah, I don't know. I I think people can have that ext- those extreme of hallucinations for sure. I don't know if it was too on the nose or just like a very TV thing to happen. I think what they should have done is like hung a lantern on it later. Like if Melfi was like, wow, we only see this type of reaction in like 0.1% of patients or like she addressed how rare it was or something like that um, for me. But maybe that's just me. Maybe that was just my my own pitfall. Yeah, it's kind of like when you have dreams and all this weird stuff's happening, but it just like makes sense. And then afterwards, you're like, oh, that was all that was all very strange. But for him, like the lunch scene and everything seems very, very normal. Well, it's, it's weird. Because he goes to a therapy session, which I think the therapy session's real, because that's when he first tells Melfi about this woman. So Melfi know we know Melfi knows about the woman, but then when he's leaving that therapy session, he sees the woman outside. So it's like crossing his day to day life with an actual hallucination was a bit weirder. Like I know like flu dreams when I'm sick and I'm in bed and I'm just like, Wow, was I awake or was I that asleep? I, I get those a little bit, but I had a hard time grasping if he is out and about in his day to day and to start hallucinating and not. I thought that might have been a bit of a stretch. But hey, if you guys if you guys don't think so, great. I'll bring that up again for sure. Um, <laughs> I won't be able to sleep tonight. Well, I didn't really review the episode back after I um, learned that that was all hallucinations. So, so I don't think the moments are weird themselves but just the fact that he thought that this was a real person so and that that brings us to the scene so tony goes to his newspaper stand every that he goes to every day and this is where the hit on him is going to occur mikey told junior this at the funeral home so mikey is junior's guy mikey said 
oh, the hit's going to go down at the newspaper stand uh, Tony goes to every day. And Junior kind of addresses that it's weird that Mikey is telling him that. He's just like, I'm the boss. You know, I delegate for a reason. So I think that was like Mikey had the line in order to inform the audience, but Junior addressed it so that I wasn't annoyed by it. I thought that was good. (laughs) That line was written for Jared. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they're just like, he's, he's someone's going to make a podcast 20 years from now. <laughs> but when Tony goes to the newspaper stand, Chris actually pulls up in front of these hitmen, uh, these two guys from an African-American gang who are going to make the hit on Tony that day. And, and Chris actually stops the hit from happening. Uh, and then Tony goes into the donut shop back into therapy. So now that I'm explaining this, that's kind of a weird entrance to therapy. I don't know if he's done that before. We haven't seen it. So that might've been, no, actually, I don't know. Because Christopher was there. It makes sense that he does that. But they, like you said, they've never addressed it before because he is being secretive about his mm-hmm. therapy. But then you see him, what was it, a few episodes back that he sees, was it Polly in there? Oh, no, Sil- Silvio, he actually did see in there. Yeah, you're right. In an alleyway, Junior gets sick because the hit doesn't go down as he expected. He doesn't, I mean, despite him thinking this is the right business move, and I'm based on what he knows, he might be right. He thinks... The Capos and Tony are conspiring against him, but he still doesn't want to kill his nephew. Um, and the guy that's organizing it, this guy named Donnie, you know, assures Mikey, assures Chucky, who's another one of Junior's guys who's there, who we'll see next episode as well. He assures them, like, no, don't worry. The hit will go down tomorrow. These guys are professionals. They're best or whatever he's saying. It's just like, yeah, okay. They're, they're not the best, but we'll, we'll get to that later. But then Donnie makes a joke. He's just like, yeah, here even... Even Tony Soprano's own mother wants to get him whacked. And I think Mikey's most likable line, he's just like, you think that's funny? A guy's own mother? <laughs> and Junior doesn't like it. So Junior has Mikey kill Donnie right there, which is, which might've been preemptive. How do they know that Donnie already ordered the hit for the next day? I don't know, but he did. In therapy, I think this was a great dramatic moment. Melfi's explaining to Tony that, you know, she's uh, prescribed lithium and Prozac to give a jolt to his system, but he still feels, he feels empty, which a lot of people who experience depression explain, you know, they don't feel necessarily pain. They just feel nothing. And I thought that was really, really significant. And he has a great line. I think I'm like King Midas in reverse. Everything I touch turns to shit. I'm not a husband to my wife. I'm not a father to my kids. I'm not a friend to my friends. I'm nothing. Yeah. I thought that was an awesome line. His worth rests on being a tough guy. Like he can't, he's in one of the few professions where not only is it frowned upon to admit you're going to a therapist, you actually get killed for it. Uh, We mentioned briefly, Tony hallucinates when he's leaving therapy. He sees the neighbor, Isabella, and he takes her to lunch. At lunch, he has this daydream about Italy where Isabella is a mother to a baby named Antonio. Watching it again, because I knew this was a hallucination, this lunch scene just cuts to an end it doesn't like really have a a last line or anything so looking back i'm like oh it's because this is a dream and there's no fine details about it like they don't say what restaurant you don't really see them eating food you see like white wine i don't know it kind of is filmed in like a kind of a fuzz totally family dinner at the soprano household livia is over there but junior is not you know it's assumed junior still feels sick about this hit that he's called on on tony Though uh, Livia doesn't seem bothered by it at all. She's just living her day-to-day life. But Tony comes down in a bathrobe and it gets mentioned, oh, or Meadow says, dad, you're depressed. And Livia doesn't like that at all. You know, she has her quotes, you know, back in 
my dad, he, uh, he, he never complained about anything. And we get these generational differences. In the bedroom later, Tony's having another depressed episode, which we know is all, by the end, we know this is, he's hallucinating again. But Carmela catches Tony looking at Isabella, the neighbor. And one of the best burns of, in this season that Carmela has given Tony, which it's sad to know that this was all a hallucination, but like at the end of it, she said, if I had an ounce of self-respect, I would cut your dick off. <laughs> and she's absolutely right too. Like Tony's like a dick of a husband. And you think, he, I mean, he's probably, he must realize that if he's hallucinating her to say that he's just projecting what he knows he is. <laughs> we get a scene too with Livia and Junior. They're talking about the hit on Tony without actually saying it. Livia is really upset with how miserable and depressed her son Tony is. And she kind of refers to, I think, her cousin who had a lobotomy who, I mean, she says horrible things like, oh, it would have been better if, if they were dead. And she's insinuating that, you know, it'd be, it's better if Tony's dead at this point. Yeah, she's almost making excuses or already justifying it in her head that she's kind of giving peace to Tony if he's good. Yeah. He, if he's going to see therapy, he's like, well, what's the point of living? And then a scene back at the Soprano house, Tony's in bed again, which we keep seeing in this episode. And like you said, Josh, it's like you want to feel depressed when you're seeing this. But the, this is where the cleaning lady comes in to tell Tony that Carmela went to New York to get AJ's suit for his formal. That same music plays again. And either this scene is a hallucination or the previous or the first scene with Tony in bed when Carmela comes in. Tells him she's going to get sweat socks and a suit and things like that. I think because otherwise Carmel would be going twice to get AJ a suit. You guys ready for some intermezzo action? Bring it on. So this week, just because it's relevant to The Sopranos, let's talk about weird or interesting dreams we've had. If you guys have had flu dreams or sweat dreams or, or any of that too, let's share that as well. Um, Drew, I know you have a lot of erotic dreams, so why don't you go first? <laughs> yeah, definitely have had some erotic dreams. I don't know if I'm going to go into detail um, <laughs> now about those. I'll go for. I had like a. I had a lot of dreams like growing up where I'd be like trying to scream. You know, someone would be like after me, and like no sound would come out. Um, yeah, I think the one that I'm going to say just because it was like the first one that came to my mind. I was. Um, I was kayaking in Chile and, uh, I was staying at a hostel, but it was like tent, tent camping. And, uh, wait, question. What's this? But cause you've been to Chile before. Have you kayaked there in real life? Yeah. No, no, no. So I was, I was there, I was like backpacking and, uh, I was there to kayak and I had a dream that, um, a bear was like coming into my tent and, I just like, I woke up and screamed like, get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Like at the top, at the top of my lungs. And then was just like, oh, (laughs) nope, that was just a dream. And then were you in like a shared room in the hostel? No, I was tent camping. So I was like in a tent. Oh, tent camping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah and and it was just like it was just weird i don't know if it was like the same tent but it was just like too realistic and the next day i was kayaking with this guy that i had like linked up with this aussie guy and i was like did you hear anything last night he's like no (laughs) yeah not at all i was like huh because i like screamed (laughs) at the top of my lungs get the fuck out of (laughs) here were you able to go to sleep after that like, were you just terrified a bear was going to come in there? 
Uh, probably took me a while to get back to sleep. I'm guessing. <laughs> oh man, that's wild. Uh, have you seen the documentary uh, Grizzly Man? I heard that story. Yeah. Did you watch that like right before? It, had you seen that before the stream? No, I didn't. Oh, God, that guy's fucking. Yeah. He's just like, nope, nope. Hey, hey, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> the actual guy. Yeah, <laughs> that is a fucking grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i well it was funny when i i thought of this i was just like damn it's actually really hard to think of dreams when i'm put on the spot i realize a lot when i'm dreaming that i'm actually dreaming often and i try to wake myself up and the first time i actually re- ever remember myself doing that is i was like probably six or seven and i was dreaming that i was a cartoon but i thought that that was just what the world was like well, i think like you said drew is when you're having a dream there are rules in the dream that just make perfect sense. You're like, yep, this is real life. We're just cartoons. <laughs> yeah. But then I re- and then I realized I was dreaming and I trying to shake myself awake. I was just like moving my cartoon character around. And then the most recent dream I could think of, I was, I had to like go to the bathroom in real life, but like I was dreaming that I really had to take a piss bad. And I was like getting up in the dark, our dark apartment to go to the bathroom and someone came behind me and just like grabbed my whole body. And I started making a lot of noise. I was just like started yelling. And I, this is the only time that I've actually like that I've known that I've made a noise while I was dreaming. And I was just like, as Lizzie describes it, I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> and she she woke up and she like shook me awake um, as well, too. So those were two vivid memories. Remember? Remember? When you were like little before you were like potty trained or before you like, and you just, I'd always like have a dream where it's like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm just gonna let it out. And then you just like wake up as you're like just letting it <laughs> Like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I don't know if I can actually remember an incident, but I'm sure I did that multiple times. <laughs> um, Josh, how about you? Well, I kind of have one similar of both of you guys. Uh, I was tent camping one time with uh, my buddy and we were in cots in the same tent and we had been drinking that night. And this is in high school. <laughs> and, and he he he, uh, he said, I woke up, eyes wide open, stared at him and just started screaming, like going, <laughs> ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> like eyes wide open. And then I just like went immediately back to sleep. <laughs> was he just like freaked out like you're gonna kill him or something he was was like what the hell was that (laughs) so i think one of our pitfalls of the show early on was like tony has a dream and melfi's just like this is what it means there it is and we're like okay we we wouldn't quite get to that i was gonna say i want that therapist just be like oh here's my dream last night and they're just like oh like yada 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 (laughs) you're afraid of your family leaving you yeah exactly (laughs) no i'm actually trying to escape my family home by building a van by by Uh, screaming by screaming at that bear (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of it's interesting because that's like my biggest pitfall with the show is like some of the therapy scenes where melfi's just like breaking it down but then at the same time, like some of the best acting is Tony talking to Milfi in while he's in therapy, especially in this one while he's like on lithium. He just seems like so. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. just so dead. They do such a good job it, with that. But I, I think they do better than than other shows of it. So I, I would say The Sopranos 
does therapy better than any other show that I've seen. But still, it's probably there's a space between real life therapy and the show. And the other thing, though, I that I do think The Sopranos does do well, and we see glimpses of it in this episode, and it gets better. But the dream sequences and things like that is they become real enough where we we feel that we're kind of like with Tony, we're seeing the world from his perspective too, where it's like, oh, his his best friend, Big Pussy, is gone because of him, and he's feeling this immense guilt that's like debilitating him and keeping him from doing things. So I I think it's it's those are, are very well done. But let's get into the episode again. This brings us to the attempted hit on Tony. So I thought what I have a lot of things that were wrong to say about it too, but starting off, I love how he goes to get his orange juice, the music's playing. And Josh, you mentioned it, how he like sees the uh the assassin and the reflection on his car, and he turns around and it's like slow motion and the first shot explodes the orange juice i thought that was just an amazing moment and then it accelerates into real time like it's slow motion where he's depressed but i think like you said it jump starts him and he starts behaving and uh his instinct kicks in and he, he tries to survive the the attack who remembers it well and wants us to take us through step by step in all of the assassin's blunders i'll, I'll give it a whirl so tony goes to the newspaper stand Gets his little OJ and newspaper, tips the guy a few bucks, starts starts walking back to his red suburban that has pretty clean windows. And <laughs> and as he's digging in his taking a swig of OJ, digging for his keys, he sees in the window this guy right behind him reaching to his waistband to pull out a pistol and he kind of just freezes. He's like, Wait, what's kind of going on? Takes a look over his shoulder, his right shoulder, and the guy like fires a shot, still in slow-mo orange juice bottle explodes and then like mm-hmm. like you were saying that's just like boom fast motion tony's like ah oh, hell no i ain't dying right now hops in the car guy fires off another shot breaks the window one guy's partner comes along the driver's side and as tony's wrestling with the main assailant and then, and then the driver's side guy or and then the passenger side guy tries to shoot tony ends up shooting his boy in the head yeah and tony's like Oh, okay, now I don't have to deal with this guy. Turns on the car and starts grabbing the gun from the passenger side assailant, driving away as he's fighting and with all his life to point the gun away from himself and finally does get it away from him. And uh, he's probably going like 30 miles an hour now and the guy just falls off the car. And then Tony <laughs> just smacks into, uh, like kind of turns the corner and then smacks into either another miss, car. He laughs. he laughs like as soon as the guy falls. Oh, yeah. Like, like gleeful murderous instinct has kicked back in <laughs> like like he's back yeah <laughs> i'm back baby and then I, and then i love when like they're, they're at the hospital and carmelo's like tony what happened he's like carjacked guy must not have read the reviews about the gas mileage <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is great uh yeah the the play-by-play is really good i'm mixed feelings about this because i think it's just like the two worst assassins and this is such a major pitfall in film and TV, it's always the main characters get the worst assassins going after them. And then the bad guys. Second time this season too. What was the first time? When the the college episode where that one guy could have smoked him. Oh yeah. It was not to. He he chooses not to. So it was a hero just getting lucky in a situation where he could have easily not been lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So that bothers me. 
a lot. Like first, the first guy missing him at point blank range. Tony grabs him, but then somehow the second guy who comes over, he's able to grab that guy's gun from across the car too. It's like, why are you guys like putting the guns into Tony's like like reach? You're bringing them within three feet of him where he's able to actually grab the the gun. So that's like a huge, huge pitfall for me. Like, I don't like when heroes get lucky. And I mean, spoilers for Breaking Bad. Walter White just gets literally every season as he's just getting lucky. Um, And like down to the last season where the bad guys in the last season, like the neo-Nazi guys, let Walter go a few episodes before the end. And then he comes back and kills them. It's like, well, that's they could have just killed him earlier. And then we wouldn't have a story. But anyway. I think that's all I have to say. Oh, but as big of a pitfall as I think that is, I love Tony showing that side of him though, where he things just kick into gear. I was like, should he get into a, into the car? And he does, and that seems to actually work out for him. And I'm like, damn, he maybe he kind of knows what he's doing in this situation. Wrestles these two guys off, and I, I I liked seeing that side of Tony. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I like that too. I thought it, it kind of it just brought him back. Drew, do you have any thoughts about that attempt? Yeah, I didn't really see it as a pitfall, but maybe I was just being not naive, just like, I don't know, in the moment or something. Yeah. It, it just like, I it because when I think back on it, I was like, uh, yeah, I was like, just like, God, those guys really fucked that one up. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh, <laughs> that, that could have gone better. I think I think you're right. I think when characters continue to get lucky over time, that frustrates the audience more. Like one, like, Tony's had one obvious hit on him so far, plus the guy in the college episode could have killed him. So you're, you're, I think maybe you'd be starting to be a little frustrated as a viewer, but, but not enough. It's not like every episode. So in the hospital, his family goes to see him. He tells people that it was just guys were trying to uh, carjack him. An FBI agent, Agent Harris, who we've seen before, tries to convince Tony to um, testify against his other mob friends. You know, this could happen again. You could you could be killed. Carmelo's actually interested in hearing this a little bit. Tony won't have it. He's like, I took an oath. Carmelo's like, what are you, a kid in the treehouse? <laughs> <laughs> and then Paulie and Silvio arrive, and, and the kids already know. They, they don't think this was a kid or a carjacking, uh, so they're, they're definitely suspicious about that. Did anyone notice where the kids were sitting above them was a sign that it, it, I think it said like a good family. Everybody needs one. And there's just uh, <laughs> Med- Meadow and uh, Anthony Jr. Just like by themselves with no parents around kind of looking like foster kids. <laughs> oh man, that's great. I missed that. Yeah. Not so subtle. And then she's wearing Vans too. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> At the retirement home, uncle Jr. And Livia are watching the news of the attempted attack and Jr. Is starting to freak out. Livia is, but she's she's a little confusing with her reaction. She doesn't play it like she was in on this hit at all. You know, she's like, we have to go see him. He's my only son and starts sobbing. And it's like, all right, Livia, what's going on here? At the Soprano house, people are coming to visit Tony as he's recovering. Christopher comes in with his uh, his boating hat, Josh. And uh, he learns that someone mentions the type of car that the African-American gang members were in. And Christopher remembers seeing that the previous day when he doesn't realize he stopped the hijacking too. So Tony's crew is very set on, they need to figure out who put a hit on Tony. Tony's a capo by name, but really actually the boss of the family uh, in action. So 
you know, Paulie, Silvio, Chris, all these guys are realizing they have to find out who put this hit on Tony. Junior and Livia arrive as well. And Father Phil shows up too, who we haven't seen in a few episodes. And and Tony lays into him. He's like, oh, what? I thought you were sleeping over. <laughs> yeah. I forget what the next scene was. It was like Father Phil in that scene. And then someone else was in, I can't remember who it was, but it was like, who's more uncomfortable? Like Father Phil showing up to this. Oh, it was Carmela. Carmela drives the car to Melfi. Tony gets out. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. I was like, who feels safer? Melfi? You know, just like a midnight, you know, therapy session after a, a hit, you know, with oh, yeah. some, or, or, or does father Phil feel better about like showing up to, to pay his dues, you know, that's not the first, you don't seduce a mob boss's wife. Your first go around, you also don't bring your sacrament wine bag, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a veteran move. Bye. <laughs> Bottoms up. that's a veteran move that's really good (laughs) yeah take your sacrament kit or whatever (laughs) um it should be mentioned at the soprano house livia seems not to recognize meadow which you could look at it like maybe she is starting to get the effects of dementia or alzheimer's maybe she's playing into them more maybe she has part of the effects or maybe she's completely faking it because she doesn't want to be involved with this hit on tony what do you think drew yeah, def- definitely. She's faking it, faking it till she makes it. <laughs> it w- the game, the game she plays. So, and then, yeah, the next scene, Carmela goes to drop Tony off for a late night therapy session, just because this has been a very traumatic incident for him, but meets Dr. Melfi in a car. Carmela goes around the block and, and Tony, I think, expresses here that being attacked like that gave him a kickstart and he realized he did not want to die. And he's reinvigorated this whole episode he's been fighting this and now he's he has some more life at least to to fight another another day and then we get one scene in that that c or d storyline where aj and his girlfriend so anthony jr are going to their formal dance or whatever and Polly and silvio are the chaperones in the limo i couldn't tell who that was my my uh the screen was really dark but that's why your phone your phone screen was dark (laughs) <laughs> no no i nice watched on his apple watch now <laughs> yeah <laughs> my my ipod mini um actually one of my one of my uh co-workers at work uh he like didn't have a tv too and he's just like oh dude somebody else watches sopranos on their phone and i was just like oh for god's sakes you guys are, <laughs> you guys are gonna put me in my grave early man <laughs> Jared, you're, you're being that you're being that guy on Twitter who's like, "Oh, you guys aren't working hard enough." Oh, I know. I <laughs> I have boomer tendencies for sure, where I'm just like kids watching it on their phone. These millennials. <laughs> nice part about watching it on DVD is you can just like hook it up to the receiver, turn off the turn off the video, and just listen to the listen to the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't read, so it's kind of like listening to an audiobook. <laughs> the last. The last beat in the Junior Livia storyline, Junior storms into Livia's room at Green Grove. She says, I could have been in the nude. And he's just like, <laughs> what the hell was that? Not recognizing, not recognizing Meadow. And he, he calls her out for the perfect timing of it. And she acts like she doesn't know. So they were kind of uh, co-conspirators on this crime to actually call a hit on Tony, her son, his nephew. And now she's just, now that it didn't work, she's just playing off that she didn't know. Do you think any side of her 
regrets calling that hit. Maybe she's like, it was good that it didn't go through. And now I still have to cover my bases. I don't think she has regret about, I think she's regretting that it it didn't work. And so now she's (laughs) kind of, she played her hand and now she has to live in fear of Tony finding out. So that's why she's kind of got this backup plan of dementia. Yeah. Last, last scene, Tony sees Dr. Cusimano's backyard, asks where that one, uh, college or the exchange student was Isabella who he's become infatuated with Kuzma doesn't know what Tony's talking about this last scene is when we realize oh this woman was just a hallucination which Melfi talks about that he needed a mother figure yeah like an all caring mother figure because she even alludes to I think when they're meeting in the car or was it on the phone that I think it was the car when they're talking about his attempted hit that he's just they've talked about Olivia having infanticide Infants. Oh yeah, infanticide—the killing of an, a mother killing of their infant child. She mentions that at the when she's over at dinner, she's like, "Do you hear about this woman in Philadelphia or wherever who like killed her kids or something like that?" But she mentions it this episode too. No, that's what I'm saying. She mentions that at dinner this episode. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Oh, I didn't remember that. Oh, no, yeah. Now she's like, the world's going, what is wrong with the world? Yeah. <laughs> the, the most common quote of anyone from that generation. Yeah. The, I got a, the best scene where uh, she asks Anthony Jr. to pull out the chair for her. And he's just like pouring yeah. his like cola. <laughs> he goes, in my own house? <laughs> or something. She, she's like, if I was that girl and I went to that dance with you and you said that, I would slap your face. <laughs> or if you use that kind of talk. <laughs> slap your face uh and then and carmela's like finally thanks ma <laughs> important in the last scene so tony realizes he was hallucinating this woman isabella but melfi asked tony how he's feeling and he says when i find out who took the shot at me i'll feel even better which i, I think i got chills when he said that when i was just prepping for the the last episode of the season pitfalls so we mentioned a few of them too i mentioned this one briefly but when Junior and Mikey killed Donnie, who organized the hit on Tony. I think Donnie should have been killed because he was talking too much, but I think it was probably a little too early to kill him. Like they kill him the day before the hit's going to happen. Like, doesn't Donnie need to coordinate or anything? Like talk to the hitman? I don't know. I thought that was a bit of a pitfall, but I thought it was still dramatic that they actually made that hit. I think about this often, but Tony not looking over his shoulders more, which you could play into this episode like he was severely depressed, but... I mean, he's a capo in the mob and he's not really concerned, you know, going to the, with his same routines every day. I would think he'd be a little bit more careful, but he was very depressed. And we mentioned the dream sequences, or I mentioned the dream sequences where I, I thought some of them were a stretch. I don't know if those elaborate hallucinations would occur. I think they do occur in people and maybe all I needed was Melfi to like hang a lantern on it later. Like, oh, that the lithium can have that effect in like 0.1% of patients. Stop taking it right now address that it's so rare i think i i could have i could have used that and then of course the hit the whole hit was a bit of a pitfall at least how it was orchestrated or at least josh and i thought so drew maybe not so much but those were the pitfalls i had for the episode drew did you have any my main one is just like the therapy it's just like the dreams working into like my dreams are fucking random so <laughs> i was just like kind of like la la land or something as opposed to yeah. just like you know my psychological you know needs or i don't know yeah it's a little it's just a little bit too i think that's my biggest pitfall for the show is is 
her analysis of Tony. And it's just like, does it need to be that? Like, you know, it's like, we get it. Like his mom sucks and was not loving, you know, do we need this like therapist character to like unravel it? So, so perfectly or something. I don't know to just like peel the layers back. Like it's like, I don't know. I just think it's like better left unsaid in, in a lot of ways. I agree with you in this season. I think it gets a lot better. I think this season it was like Sopranos was still trying to move away from the most obvious TV. Like this season actually has like followed a pretty, I mean, this show is very nuanced, but it does follow like a, a traditional arc over the course of this season with this tension building between Tony and Junior, Tony and Livia, his problems with his mother. So even the therapy, I don't think they've quite escaped like things that were on the nose. I mean, the show gets, I think, so much into territory that's more, even more nuanced. And I want to say anticlimactic, but not in a bad way. It's like what you're expecting is going to happen. The complete opposite happens or it happens, you know, 10 episodes later, not when you think it's going to happen. Um, And this season's like a touch of that, but it hasn't quite reached its point. So I agree with you on the therapy in this season, but I do think I do think overall, I, I, I enjoy the therapy sessions. I think they're, they're really good. Josh, what are your thoughts on the therapy? I think it's been pretty good. I, I think it's an interesting way to kind of lead a show. Uh, I don't, I've never really seen it done before, but it's funny. I, I do remember, I don't know if it came out before or after, but like analyze this with, uh, yeah, Billy Crystal and Robert De Niro. Was that before this show? So it comes out actually a couple months after this season aired. So they pretty much filmed the whole season one. And for background, Analyze This is a comedy about a mob boss who goes to see a therapist. So the show is already in development and they filmed all these episodes before that came out. Season two, they hang a lantern on that, Josh, though. They mention it for that reason. They're like, oh, isn't this kind of like Analyze This? And Tony's like, that was a comedy. Um This is real life, man. But uh, but that's actually really interesting. You you brought that up too because they do they they're very similar in what they're about, I guess. But the actual content is so different. Yeah, but no, I I, I enjoy it. Um, I don't really know if any other. Sh- I'm sure that therapy exists in a lot of other shows, but I don't know if it's to this degree of importance for mm. for like a whole season at least. Any pitfalls, Josh? I agree with you on the um, on the hit. The wind bothered me. (laughs) (laughs) Livia claiming Alzheimer's or or dementia. I mean, it was kind of funny. Thought it was a stretch. It's definitely not something she can like continue. So I don't know if that's a pitfall or just showing her being panicked. You don't think she could keep that performance up? No, no, I don't. Well, we'll see, Josh. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tune in. I'll try to find a smaller device to watch it on too. You started on your big screen TV for episode one and just been getting smaller. <laughs> so best best S, there were two this episode. Donnie, the guy who was organizing the hit for Junior, and then also uh, one of the hitmen get killed. So it's William Petit Claiborne is the name of him, but Tony kills him. Well, Tony doesn't kill him. Oh, right. Yeah, it, he doesn't. It's the it's the other hitman that shoots across and gets him. Yeah, Rasheen Ray. Um are you reading character lists off the internet? <laughs> it's just my handy dandy Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's real quick. So far this season, who is your Mount Rushmore of supporting characters 
because we said this last time, I asked like your best supporting character and I think Livia was maybe the favorite, but let's say Mount Rushmore. So four best supporting characters. You cannot choose Tony, Dr. Melfi or Carmela. They're two main, I think. So four other characters. Uh, I'd, I'd go junior. Mm-hmm. Um, I like pussy. Like I think he's really entertaining. Uh, even though yeah. it hasn't been around like the last two episodes. Um, I do like Mikey just for the character that he plays. Like mm-hmm. he's so over the top and like brash. I, I don't like him like him, but I was like, ah, oh, he's pretty entertaining when he's on screen. Yeah. You don't have to like him. You have to enjoy watching him. Yeah. And also like Silvio, I think, he, yeah. I don't know. He's just, he's just entertaining. He's, Super got, entertaining. he's got some swag. He's so that, so I mentioned before he's uh, Steven Van Zant, who was in the E street band with Bruce Springsteen did not act before this but grew up in New Jersey, was part of the music scene there. He gave a rock and roll Hall of Fame speech for, oh my God, I, f- I forget the band. I'll look it up while Drew goes. But he had a lot of jokes throughout the speech and pretty much just acts like Silvio. This is before they filmed The Sopranos. And David Chase, the creator, saw that. David Chase loves music and wanted to cast him as the lead role in The Sopranos. HBO didn't want really? Silvio in the didn't want to see Van Zandt in the lead, which was the right decision. James Gandolfini yeah. can't be beaten. But that got on the roll. That speech got on the roll on The Sopranos. So I, you guys should look that, or I'll link that in the show notes so that Josh doesn't read the the comments or anything. But it's it's pretty funny. He just pretty much plays is Silvio before Silvio. It's great. Drew, who's your Mount Rushmore of supporting characters? Livia, maybe Junior. Junior's pretty good. Yeah, I guess I guess Polly. I don't know. He's super and fun. I, I like Silvio a lot. Okay. So you said Is that four, how many how many people are on Mount Rushmore for, right? <laughs> I think four. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like Alexander Hamilton, uh, Ben Franklin. Uh, the Rascals was the band. So it's the Rascals Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Um, I'm going to say Livia Jr. Those are shoe-ins for me. And then I like Chris a lot. I'm trying to have you guys, I'm trying to get him to win you guys over. And then Silvio. I think Silvio is really great, but they're all good. I love Polly. I love Mikey. They're, they're just, they're just fun to watch. Best comedy moment. I like the, the chair scene. He's <laughs> just, you happy? Yeah. <laughs> it's just pouring his extra, his big gulp of soda. If you use that kind of talk, I'd slap your face. <laughs> <laughs> That that is a, that is a great great moment. Um, it's really hard for me not to go against the or to go against the great Carmela Byrne with the if I had an ounce of <laughs> self respect I would cut your dick off. But there's some <laughs> other good moments too. What about you, Josh? I just like the liner from uh, Tony once uh, he's in the hospital. He's like, oh, I guess the guy didn't read into the gas mileage. <laughs> that was good. Some other good one liners. Uh, Livia saying, "I could have been in the nude when Junior storms in." Carmela says when Tony's recovering at the house, when she's like, just make sure nothing happens to him. Uh, Silvio, Polly, and Chris are all standing over Tony and they're just like nodding. Like Silvio like points at her. Points like, at her, yeah. You got it. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we'll, we'll make sure nothing happens to him. It's like, you guys kill people all the time. Like, how could you guarantee that? Best drama sequence. I'm curious what you guys are going to say for this because there are some good ones in this episode. Drew, what about you? I like the not the opening scene, but the second scene into the into the music with Tony. Yeah, like, you know, He's I, I shower. Yeah, I had a friend dealing with 
some severe like mental illness and he was on lithium and I don't know as soon as I saw the the lithium tab like not knowing anything about it I was just like oh my gosh that's it's just really sad yeah it's kind of amazing like the wide audience this show can speak to and we've talked about it before but just like oh you might just really be into mob shows so you're watching it you know you might if you're into family shows and family dynamics I think that's just like a huge part of this. But if you're like into these heavy themes of depression and it just, I think it can really speak to a lot of people. I think that was, that was a great scene. That was one of my favorites. Josh, how about you? Uh, it's, it's a pretty short scene, but I thought it was pretty captivating when Ju- uh, Junior and Livia are watching the news and hear about Tony there. You see the panic set in and they're trying to figure out what to oh, do. Yeah. I, thought, I just thought that was a great scene. That was really good. I'm going to go. I don't know if this is the best. It wasn't a funny scene, but definitely the most enjoyable. It wasn't funny or it wasn't like overly serious, but it was most enjoyable for me to watch was the moment when Tony gets his orange juice, the music's playing and slow motion, the orange juice gets shot. And then I think that just like that sequence right there, I I really enjoy. Um, And Tony suddenly snaps out of it and the music stops from like the slow motion to Tony snapping out of it. I, I think it's really good. But none of us mentioned the, the therapy scene in this episode where he's just Ooh, that's a good one. He's just completely dead. Um, that, that one's a really powerful one as well. Should deserves an honorable admit, mention. Do you guys think, I guess the, this theme in an episode like this or the tough guys not wanting to talk about their depression is more relevant today than when it came out? Drew, what do you think? I don't know. They talk about like, you know who Simon Sinek is? He's like, no. a, he's like an inspirational speaker. He wrote like the book, find your why, you know, like find your meaning to your purpose, to your job. That's his whole thing is, is um, everybody. It's like your, your human right to have a job that you find meaningful and fulfilling. It's not like a privilege. Um, hmm. And he talks about like millennials being heavily depressed, which I don't know. I think I'm like the amount of stress that I kind of put myself through for basically living like a very privileged middle-class life. You know, I'm just like, I think a lot of people are probably more depressed than they, they let on or, you know, it's like with Instagram and with people in the media being like, you know, it's like, so you can like kind of see into their lives very easily now with social media and with, television it's it's hard not to want more like constantly just out of life like more money more time more fulfillment so i don't know i think there's probably a lot more mental illness or mental illness kind of like pushed down than than, than is let on yeah i think for sure and it and i don't know what it is if if it's the media if it's just polarizing views or whatever it's causing but i think for sure people depression is a much more serious issue i mean one other thing is i think like i have like kind of issues not necessarily with depression but with like dissatisfaction from um getting graded in school you know it's like and i think people have a hard time yeah i like sobbed when i (laughs) got caught cheating Mm -hmm. And it's like, I just feel like I'm like always trying to get A's like in my life, like in all, like all the aspects, you know, and if I'm not getting like straight A's or, um, you know, then I feel not good about things. It's like, 
like there's definitely things that I like struggle with. And if I'm like struggling with something, then I'll be like, Oh no, like I'm like not doing well, you know, but just like very naturally you're, you're going to be worse at stuff than, than other people. And then also like, I mean, when you fail in school, like all your peers move on without you, you know, (laughs) so it's kind of a dramatic, you know, thing. So it's like, through life as you like fail you know it's like oh i'm like a failure and it's like no that's that's like a good thing to to go through it's just like lots of failures on your way to you know improving Mm -hmm. yourself i think that's a perfect example where someone who doesn't understand kind of what you express be like oh well why don't you just get over that And it's like no this is like i think for i think everyone is fighting an, an individual fight to some extent um and it is impossible to know exactly what one person is going through. Like when Silvio at the beginning is just like, what's he got to be depressed about? It's like on, on the surface alone, like he's killed a ton of people and has a lot like on his, his friends missing. <laughs> you know? yeah, and it's like, wow, you really don't get it. Um, Josh, do you have anything to add to the relevance or, or any, anything else on that? I, I think it's still relevant today. I, I do think we're making progress though. And probably a lot of that has to stem from a lot of the awareness of PTSD in the military, you know, from the Iraq war and all the oh, yeah. activism that's been going on about making it seem more normal, um, taking away the stigma of it. Um, but right. clear, clearly that's a big issue. And I think that will have a trick has had a trickle down effect on a lot of mental illness, uh, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, um, and I mean, I'm sure the recent, you know, COVID-19 stuff we're all going through, that's probably going to lead to certain amounts of increased mental health awareness uh, because there's going to be an increase, unfortunately, of probably mental health problems that go along with it. So I think we're moving in the right direction, but it'll probably for the rest of our lives always be kind of like a taboo subject. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. And it's interesting. You mentioned like the effects of the Iraq war. I mean, we, it was in our lifetime that these wars happen too. I'm interested. I'm interested might not be the right word, but it's, it's sad to know what the long-term effects of like this pandemic will be when, you know, people try to recover from, or try to recover from these, the mental anguish that they've had to experience uh, throughout the last few months. So yeah, interesting time, but I do think that this stigma, it's becoming less stigmatized, but it is, there still is that stigma around it, unfortunately. So on that happy note, uh, that's our show. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, please uh, leave us a review if if you liked what you heard. Um, we do we do really appreciate that. If you have questions, comments, anything like that, you can reach out to us on our website where we host the podcast. Um, and I also have screenplays I've written on there on jaredbackins.com. Also reach out to us on Twitter if you guys have short questions or you can send us a message there. It's Josh hasn't seen The Sopranos on Twitter. Drew's a great artist and is it it's Drew Draws on Instagram and his website rivers to see stickers.com and uh, Drew did the cover art for the podcast as well. Josh, last question. What's happening in the season finale? Make some make some calls. What are your takes? I got a I say Junior Soprano gets taken down either legally or with a bullet in his head. Which one are you leaning to? Ooh, actually, hot take, he confides to the FBI. Oh, he, okay. he, he becomes a snitch. That's your... Okay, got it. It's my official take. Anything else? Any of these other storylines? I can't even remember what happened. So <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm just like, I'm just as in the dark as Josh. 
<laughs> any of the any of the other storylines uh, that you think will come to fruition this next episode, Josh? Uh, I think Pussy comes back, and I think he's actually gonna uh, shoot. What's the guy's name? Whack a uh, whack the real rat, uh, Jimmy. Not Jimmy. Uh, yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. Okay. We'll find out. I'm excited. Anything else, guys? Father Phil, any hot takes? <laughs> Le- leaves the church, confesses love to Carmela, and she denies him. <laughs> uh, we'll find out next episode. That and more <laughs> in the season finale of The Sopranos. Adios. Come here next week. We'll see you guys next time.